Welcome to the Tech Meme Right Home for Tuesday, December 21st, 2021. I'm Brian McCullough. Today, I do my best to give you all the angles on the cold tech civil war concerning Web3 that has been bubbling under the surface for a while now, but burst out into the open last night. Interesting raises in the crypto space and interesting data on investment in the crypto space, an interesting CEO departure, and a CEO who maybe never really stepped down, and a look at satellite internet speeds. Here's what you missed today in the world of tech. So forget the war between the NFTers and the gamers. The whole Web3 thing has caused a cold civil war to simmer within VC and founder and general tech circles over the past few months. And I've been avoiding talking about it because of my usual, it's probably too inside baseball sort of thinking. But last night, things bubbled to the surface in a very public way when Jack Dorsey caused controversy by criticizing Web3, tweeting, you don't own Web3, the VCs and their LPs do. It will never escape their incentives, end quote. And look, all the usual caveats here, I don't have skin in this particular debate, as we discuss at length on the Twitter space that will come out later this week. I think Web3 is the future, even if it doesn't end up being exactly the future that a lot of people think it will be right now. That's natural for new things. And at the same time, there are a lot of people overly pilled, in my opinion, into Web3 advocacy to the point where it feels like, I don't know, it's a religion, a cult. Yeah, I think that's true, too. I think both things can be true at the same time. But anyway, look, let me just give you all sides here so you can get a sense of how this debate is playing out, quoting Bloomberg. Fresh off relinquishing the chief executive reins of Twitter, Bitcoin enthusiast Jack Dorsey has taken to the service he co-founded to voice his displeasure with so-called Web3 technology and the involvement of venture capital firms like Andreessen Horowitz. You don't own Web3, tweeted Dorsey. The VCs and their LPs do. It will never escape their incentives, end quote. The post drew more than 16,000 likes and thousands of retweets. Many pushed back with comments like, highly disagree and dead wrong, though many others chimed in with support. Tesla chief executive Elon Musk got in on the discussion by asking if anyone has seen Web3, to which Dorsey replied, quote, it's somewhere between A and Z, end quote, hinting that it's held under the control of the VC firm founded by Mark Andreessen and Ben Horowitz, commonly contracted to A16Z. Earlier in the day, Dorsey, whose block company includes Spiral, a project, quote, aimed at making Bitcoin the planet's preferred currency, tweeted in response to musical artist Cardi B that Bitcoin will replace the U.S. dollar. The series of tweets and responses from the former Twitter boss on Monday stirred disagreement and debate on the service, with A16Z general partner Chris Dixon offering an olive branch by saying he is a huge fan of Dorsey and, quote, hoped we can eventually bring him around to ETH and other blockchains, end quote. I believe in you and your ability to understand systems. It's critical we focus our energy on truly secure and resilient technologies owned by the mass of people, not individuals or institutions. Only that foundation will provide for the applications you allude to, Dorsey tweeted to Dixon in response, end quote. Now, a ton more tweets, actually. And this is just a sampling of the debate, but I'm trying to grab from all sides. 
To Jack's original tweet, Mike Dudas, founder of The Block, tweeted, quote, dead wrong, and also dangerous because you preemptively stifle the hopes and dreams of the many brave people shaping a truly independent Web3, end quote. To which Jack responded, quote, we have bigger issues if a tweet stifles hopes and dreams. Currently, it's not wrong. Critique can help fix or divert energy to something more important, end quote. Dudas later tweeted, quote, Hilarious to see Uber, ETC Angels, who championed regulatory arbitrage in the early 2010s, S on crypto in the 2020s. Talk about pulling up the ladder behind you. Stop fighting for good once you've made it, end quote. Indeed, a lot of the back and forth has been, and I know I overuse this as an analysis lens for things, but a lot of it has been generational. Folks are accusing other folks of being old fogies, Web 2.0, I don't know, elites, while others accuse Web 3 folks of being naive, I guess. That side's argument seems to be this Web 3 revolution folks are speaking of is just a hustle dreamed up by the usual big-pocketed money folks, the better to make more money with. Yes, there is also clearly a lot of animosity toward Andreessen Horowitz bubbling up here, too. Parker Thompson tweeted, quote, What he's called out is that VCs are buying Web3 securities while telling the market users actually own these networks. All I know is that generally the people using plain language are correct in a debate with those using actively confusing language to make their case, end quote. Here's Balaji Srinivasan, quote, Everyone is becoming an investor, and so investors are declining in power. You have countless options to raise money today, from full crypto to traditional VCs to Republic. The point of tech is to self-disrupt, and Sandhill has less power than ever. Jack, I respect you and everything you've built. I also disagree here. Twitter started as a protocol, the free speech wing of the free speech party. Then corporate and political incentives led to deplatforming and censorship. Web3 offers the possibility, not the guarantee, of something better, end quote. In perhaps the saltiest exchange I saw, Chris Dixon, again of Andreessen Horowitz, tweeted, quote, First they ignore you, then they laugh at you, then they fight you. We are here. Then you win, end quote. To which Jack responded, You're a fund determined to be a media empire that can't be ignored. Not Gandhi, end quote. Antonio Garcia Martinez tweeted, quote, Bitching about Web3 while a Web2 tycoon is the new I got rich off of Facebook or Google or Amazon, but I'm going to tell you how it's evil without giving any of it back, end quote. To which Jack responded, quote, I'm giving it all back, end quote. Joe Weisenthal tweeted, quote, So much Web3 tweeting is just posturing and trying to sound like a rebel and attacking people you don't like. This framework is obviously nonsense, since apparently Jack is an institutionalist, but Andreessen Horowitz, Pepsi, Will Wilkinson, and the Planet Money hosts are all red-pilled. Folks like M. Dudas, Balaji, Chris Dixon, Antonio G.M. seem riven by perceived slights. Who is against them? Who is in disagreement with them? Who isn't sufficiently respecting their work? Who hasn't joined them or invested yet? End quote. David Pierce tweeted, Right now, Web3 is whatever you want it to be, which is why it's so compelling to so many people, I think. Also, all the money. But at some point, we're going to have to decide what the future is and then build it for everybody. End quote. And wrapping up once again, Joe Weisenthal tweeted, quote, Bitcoiners and no-coiners have the same view of Web3. I think it was Nick Carter who said, Bitcoiners and no-coiners are actually pretty similar. They're only one coin apart, end quote. 
He's referring, as Chris Dixon did above, to Jack being a Bitcoin maximalist, but not necessarily being into any of the other blockchains. Matt Zeitlin tweeted, quote, This is a classic atheist line about religious believers. They're atheists about all gods but their own, end quote. To which friend of the show and the person who taught me everything I know about crypto, Aaron Lammer, tweeted, quote, The religious metaphor holds because the first century of most religions starts with fighting other religions and ends with fighting fork sects, end quote. Just as a chaser to that previous segment's shot, there was a bunch of news in the crypto space this morning. For example, a new study says that stablecoin supply has reached more than $140 billion, which is up 388% in the year 2021 from a mere $29 billion at the start of the year. This has largely been driven by DeFi and derivatives markets. And that is the thing about this Web3 stuff. Is it DeFi? Is it NFTs? Is it Solana and stablecoins and yield farming and DAOs? Is it AR and VR? The answer is all of the above. That's why I say on the Twitter space later this week, there's so much energy in the space, something is going to come of it, I guarantee. We just have no idea what that something will end up looking like in the end or how many ups and downs there will be along the way. Again, look for that Twitter space later this week for more in-depth discussion of all of this. Also, multi-chain which offers interoperability tools for blockchains, including Ethereum, Binance, Smart Chain, and Avalanche, has raised a $60 million seed round by Binance Labs. If you know anything about VC investing, a $60 million seed round, that's massive. It's either insanity or sign of a bubble or sign of how big the opportunity investors see in the Web3 space. You want more? According to PitchBook, crypto and blockchain startups raised more than $28 billion in venture capital in 2021, up 4x year over year, as large tech companies are also losing executives and engineers to crypto startups. Yes, there is coincidentally a big article about that in the New York Times this morning, about this very thing, about this excitement, about, shall we say, the generational divide again. Remember what we said around the Facebook name change to Meta? One of the things people, to use this term, in Web 2.0 companies fear is losing all of the talent, all of the young people coming into the industry fearful that they will not work for their existing Web 2.0 companies and will instead do their own Web 3 startups. Remember, hello, fellow kids is the joke analogy I made in terms of Mark Zuckerberg's probably overriding motivation for changing to Meta. Quoting the Times, Ms. Carter is part of a wave of executives and engineers leaving cushy jobs at Google, Amazon, Apple, and other large tech companies, some of which pay millions of dollars in annual compensation, to chase what they see as a once-in-a-generation opportunity. That next big thing is crypto, they said, a catch-all designation that includes digital currencies like Bitcoin and products like non-fungible tokens or NFTs that rely on the blockchain. Silicon Valley is now awash with stories of people writing seemingly ridiculous crypto investments like Dogecoin, a digital coin based on a dog meme, to life-changing wealth. Bitcoin has soared around 60% this year, while Ether, the cryptocurrency tied to the Ethereum blockchain, has increased more than fivefold in value. But beyond that speculative mania, a growing contingent of the tech industry's best and brightest sees a transformational moment that comes along once every few decades and rewards those who spot the seismic shift before the rest of the world. With crypto, they see historical parallels to how the personal computer and the internet were once ridiculed only to upend the status quo and mint a new generation of billionaires, end quote. 
We all know there are things in life that you have to compromise on, but when it comes to your health, there is no compromise. So don't go back to that one doctor who uses your appointment to catch up on the latest headlines, their family group chat, their crossword puzzles, just because they're available right now or they take your slightly sketchy insurance. Instead, check out ZocDoc, the place where you can find and book doctors who will make you feel comfortable, listen to you, and prioritize your health. And you can search by location, availability, and insurance. So literally no compromises here because with ZocDoc, you've got more options than you know. ZocDoc is a free app and website where you can search and compare highly rated in-network doctors near you and instantly book appointments with them online. Once you find the doc you want, you can book them immediately. No more waiting awkwardly on hold with a receptionist. And these docs all have verified reviews from actual real patients. We're talking about booking appointments with tens of thousands of top-rated, patient-reviewed, credible doctors and specialists. I have personally used ZocDoc to find a podiatrist when I needed one for the first time ever in my life. Go to ZocDoc.com slash TechMeme and download the ZocDoc app for free. Then find and book a top-rated doctor today. That's Z-O-C-D-O-C dot com slash tech meme zocdoc.com slash tech meme whenever i need to do financial research for this show for instance during tech earnings season when i have to analyze how various companies stocks have been performing i only ever turn to our sponsor today yahoo finance for more than 25 years yahoo finance has been the brand behind every great investor whether you're a seasoned investor or are looking for that extra guidance, Yahoo Finance gives you all the tools and data you need in one place. They are the number one finance destination, producing a holistic look at the financial news cycle, including breaking news, original editorial perspectives, analyst ratings, independent research, customizable charts, and so much more. Securely link your brokerage accounts for a unified view of your wealth, including 401k and other investments. A comprehensive perspective is what sets apart great investors, and it's how Yahoo Finance ensures you have the insights to look at your wealth in its entirety. With a community of over 90 million users each month, their real strength is helping you on your way to financial success. For comprehensive financial news and analysis, visit the brand behind every great investor, yahoofinance.com, the number one financial destination, yahoofinance.com. That's yahoofinance.com. Some interesting executive moves. OnlyFans co-founder Tim Stokely is apparently stepping down as CEO of that company and has named the head of communications and marketing, Amy Gann, as his replacement. Stokely will apparently remain as an advisor. But the news here is, remember how we talked about how OnlyFans was struggling to raise money from traditional VCs despite all of their success? Might this have something to do with that? Quoting Bloomberg, Gann said it was Stokely's decision to step aside and name her as his successor. The two have worked closely together over the past year and a half, grappling with the explosive growth of the company and the increased scrutiny their success has invited. Gann joined OnlyFans in 2020 as head of communications and marketing after working for Red Bull, Quest Nutrition, and a Los Angeles-based cannabis cafe. Stokely will become an advisor to the London-based company, which he has run since it started up in 2016, according to a statement Tuesday. Gann must now chart a course for the future of a company that has millions of users and creators, but has wrestled with its reputation as a purveyor of pornography and sex work. She said the closely held company will increase its investment in its free streaming app, OFTV, and introduce new tools for creators, end quote. Meanwhile, according to the information, despite publicly stepping down from his post as CEO amid the big Beijing crackdown on Chinese tech companies and founders, ByteDance founder Zhang Yiming 
remains apparently actively involved in his company, focusing on long-term strategy. Quote, Zhang Yiming, founder of ByteDance, the Chinese company that owns TikTok, resigned as CEO and chair earlier this year. He no longer has any management title or board seat, but that doesn't mean he's no longer in control. The 38-year-old Zhang remains as active as ever inside the company. He continues to participate in high-level management discussions, attending virtual meetings and online chat groups with other executives, according to people with knowledge of the matter. He's especially focused on big-picture tasks, like mapping out industry and economic trends, identifying future business opportunities, and crafting the company's long-term strategies, the people said. As ByteDance grapples with the Chinese government's crackdown on tech, Zhang also leads the company's efforts to tackle climate change and promote renewable energy initiatives that are in line with Beijing's policy goals. Zhang's retreat from official executive roles has made governance and decision-making at ByteDance more opaque at a time when TikTok's rapid global expansion continues to raise questions from foreign governments about the video app's Chinese parent and its ties to Beijing. ByteDance, the world's most highly valued startup, is the first Chinese internet giant to build an international product rivaling Meta Platforms and Google. A few months ago, two secondary market deals valued ByteDance at more than $300 billion, the information reported, end quote. Finally today, a look at U.S. satellite internet speeds with Starlink median download upload speeds of 87.3 Mbps and 13.5 Mbps, respectively, followed by HughesNet at 19.3 and 2.5. If satellite internet is ever going to free us from our traditional ISPs, well, let's just say there's some work to do. Quoting speedtest.net. Satellite internet is making headlines across the globe as Starlink continues to launch service in new countries and Viasat plans to acquire Inmarsat. We're here to check in on our ongoing series on satellite internet performance around the globe with fresh data from Q3 2021 to see if Starlink's performance is holding up and how satellite internet compares to fixed broadband in 12 countries. Consumers in the U.S. looking to use satellite services to connect to the internet will find that performance was mostly flat when comparing Q3 of 2021 to Q2. Starlink's median download speed decreased from 97.23 Mbps during Q2 to 87.25 in Q3, which could be a function of adding more customers. HughesNet followed distantly at 19.3 Mbps, comparable to what we saw in Q2, and Viasat came in third at 18.75 Mbps. For comparison, the median download speed for all fixed broadband providers in the U.S. during Q3 was 119.84 Mbps. Starlink's median upload speed of 13.54 Mbps was much closer to that on all fixed broadband, an average of 18.03 Mbps in Q3. Viasat and HughesNet followed at 2.96 and 2.54 Mbps, respectively. As we saw last quarter, Starlink, which uses low-Earth orbit satellites, was the only satellite internet provider with a median latency anywhere near that seen on fixed broadband in Q4. 44ms and 15ms, respectively. Viasat and HughesNet, which both utilize higher geosynchronous orbits, had median latencies of 6.29 milliseconds and 744 milliseconds, respectively. We saw sufficient samples during Q3 to analyze Starlink performance in 304 counties in the U.S., and while there was about a 100 Mbps range in performance between the county with the fastest median download speed, which was Santa Fe County, New Mexico, at 146.58 Mbps, and the county with the slowest median download 
download speed, which was Drummond Township, Michigan at 46.63 Mbps. Even the lower end speeds are well above the FCC's baseline performance tier of at least 25 Mbps download speeds, end quote. The last link in the show notes today is to that New York Times article that finally came out featuring quotes from Chris and I discussing the Tech Meme Ride Home Experience Twitter space episodes. Yes, there are also photos. So if you ever wanted to see the command center where I do this show every day, except for, you know, today when I'm here in Michigan, check that out. You can't see it in the photo, but behind my butt in that picture is the soundproofed voiceover artist box that I put my head into every day to get that crisp sound that I can't get when I'm on the road like this right now. I could bring that box with me on the road. It folds up, but I can't bring my Shure SM7B mic with me. It's too big. It would be too much stuff. So you can't see where the magic really happens, but hey, you can see Max's latest artwork on the wall. And that photo above the desk is of Robert Caro, thanks to Jesse Dittmar, my celebrity photographer friend. Anyway, nice little piece. And P.S. You might have heard on Twitter, my daughter and I tested positive for COVID yesterday on a rapid test. We had tested negative on previous tests, and the kids tested negative on a PCR test from Friday. So now we're waiting on the PCR test we took yesterday for full, full confirmation. We are both currently feeling fine, symptom-free, so, you know, waiting game. Max tested negative, and he was the one that we thought had gotten exposed, so I don't know. I've literally been nowhere. I'd been staying off the train for the last two weeks because I was concerned about Omicron. But on the off chance that sharing this news has some of you be a little more cautious this week, then please do so. Be well, everybody. Be careful. Talk to you tomorrow.